Florida, you know, we have space to run up a bit more. Um, I think it's, you know, we've more or less hit a plateau, but I do not see at any time in the near future prices pulling back um, and perhaps a little bit more room for growth. Uh, in New York, I think we're at a solid, long-standing plateau. And where I see the most opportunity for growth is really in the international markets. Hey, Housing News listeners. This is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. And you just heard a quick clip from today's guest, Aaron Sykes, the chief economist at Nest Seekers International. Erin is really interesting because she's not only a chief economist, she is also a producing agent, which gives her a unique insight into the housing market. In today's episode, we talk about some of the most high demand markets in the US. We talk about why people are fleeing the Empire State for the Sunshine State. We also get into some buzzy topics like NFTs, virtual real estate, and branded residences. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. But before we jump in, I want to give a quick thank you to Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions, one of the sponsors of this season of the Housing News Podcast. During the episode, pay close attention for the Mortgage Minute. This is a segment that Angel Oak has worked with to create in partnership with HW Media. A quick update on the housing market with a focus on non-QM. Thank you very much, Angel Oak. Everyone, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Clayton Collins here. I am the CEO at HW Media. And today's kind of a, a fun day for, for HW. So we launched our fintech-focused brand, FinLedger, in 2020. And today, we are announcing that we're really focusing FinLedger in exclusively on the prop tech vertical. So fintech is huge. We, uh, we're covering a big beat with a small team. And we know that our community and our contacts and our knowledge is going to make us that much more powerful in the prop tech landscape. At HW Media with Real Trends and Housing Wire, Reverse Mortgage Daily, we're exclusively focused on real estate in the housing world. And we carry that through in everything we do, including this podcast, Housing News. And today on that focus on real estate, I'm really excited to welcome Aaron Sykes, the Chief Economist at Nest Seekers to the podcast. Aaron, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So Aaron, you have really been in several markets that have been front and center in our headlines and in everybody's mind in the real estate world over the last few years. Nest Seekers with a strong presence in, in New York and Florida. I'm sure the last two years have been slow and uneventful, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not by chance that we're uh, sitting in the most on fire markets, you know, in the world, not just Florida and New York, um, but also the Hamptons. We just opened offices in Aspen, Breckenridge, and Vale. Um, we're in LA. We opened in Portugal and are servicing Golden Visa clients, Monaco, um, a couple offices in the UK. So, you know, it's it's not by happenstance that Nest Seekers is in all of these places. It's very strategic. So before we jump into some questions and really talk about the real estate market, I want to learn a little bit more about the role of a chief economist at Nest Seekers. So how, how do you spend your time? What, what is your focus inside of the business? So I have dual focus or even like a trifold focus because I sell. I am um, based in Florida uh, near Palm Beach and I work 
anywhere from Miami up to Vero Beach. Um, but then I'm also in the Hamptons in the summer. So um, put my sales hat on in two different geographies. And then also as chief economist, making sure that tracking all um, geographies and making sure that our, edu- our, our agents are being educated and um, our brokerage as a whole has a face uh, in the media. And we're really first to break news, anything related to real estate. And that runs the gamut from you know financials into hot markets. Okay. So you're definitely the first guest we've had on the show that's mentioned Vero Beach. Uh, that is my my hometown. I grew up in Vero. Not many people know Vero Beach. If they do, it is because their grandparents lived there or they were Dodgers fans before the Dodgers left us for spring training in Arizona. So very cool to hear that you do have some market focus all the way up north to Vero Beach in the South Florida market. So Aaron, let's jump into talking about some of the trends that we're, we're seeing right now in the real estate world. So last week, Real Trends reported that medium home sale prices ended the year at an all-time high. This is no surprise to anybody. The, the topic of home price appreciation and affordability and what's going on in luxury markets has really been front and center. It's also not a surprise to anybody that homes are moving quickly. Redfin's reporting that 40% of homes sold in the first two weeks on market. So uh, that's it's really just fascinating how quickly houses are moving and how high of prices they're selling for. So as a cheap economist, I know you're looking at a lot of different markets, not, not just the markets that you do business in, but markets from, from coast to coast. So where are you seeing the fastest home price appreciation uh, right now as, as we conclude 2021? Yeah, so I think everybody wants to hear a new story, right? The the media is constantly pushing, oh, what's next? Where what are you seeing the growth? And it's the same story. It is Florida, it's Texas, it's Tennessee, it's Arizona, it's South Carolina, it's places that are favorable to business that have been open and you know close to fully functional throughout the pandemic. It's places where there are tax advantages. Um, and you know that's not to say that the Hamptons in New York City are not hot anymore. They're absolutely hot, but we're seeing a shift where primary residents might be one of these other states and then individuals keeping paid tears in the uh, cities instead of the reverse, which is what we saw for so long, where people were primary residents in the cities and maybe they come down to Florida for a month or two. Okay, so you pointed at favorable business dynamics. You pointed it at taxes. What are some of the other common traits that uh, the high home price appreciation markets have right now? Yeah. Well, so I mean, in Florida, it's, it's really a battle of supply and demand and it's the same in New York city and it's the same in LA. It's um, the fact that there is such a shortage of inventory um, and people continuously want to either upgrade their current residence or get a second residence. And, you know, people are just putting more of their uh, net worth into real estate compared to prior years. So uh, it's a new form of investment for a lot of people, people that were, you know, primarily equity investors, they see real estate as a better hedge going forward. So that's why we're seeing, you know, increased um, presence in all of these markets. But I think, you know, the, the real trend is supply and demand. It's an old story, but it's a consistent one. 
So let's like zoom in on the market where where it seems like you've been you have a lot of intimate knowledge that South Florida market from in Palm Beach from Miami up to Vero. H- how would you des- describe the current supply and demand dynamic? Like wh- what does it feel like on the ground? Like how how do your the agents that you work with and the 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 other folks in the housing sector that you work with feel about what's going on in that market right now? Yeah, well, I'm going to use myself as an example. Um, I, yeah. you know, ideally would stick close to home. I live in West Palm Beach, and I would go from Jupiter to Manalapan, maybe 10 miles in each direction, and that would be my farm area. However, in the last year and a half, because of the shortage of inventory, I started working in Miami, and as we mentioned before, I started working in your hometown of Vero Beach, which is an hour and a half um, from north and south from where I live, and even. You know, I think that that is very consistent with a lot of agents in our area because we simply do not have enough inventory on Palm Beach Island. We currently have 30 homes listed, um, you know, another 20 condos. But those individuals, those home buyers need to start to look outside of the 33480 zip code. They need to go to Jupiter or to West Palm or down to Manalapan. So I think that as agents, we're all doing the same thing as well. So all agents are expanding their territory and and trying to if you don't have listings in your in your home zip code, you you look you look broader. What are some tactics that you're seeing agents or that that you're personally deploying to help potential buyers find the home that that suits them? Like if it, if it's not on the MLS, what other options are out there? Yeah, and you know, I think we've all heard that off market is the new on market. So off-market deals are driven by relationships. And this is one of the the reasons why, as agents, we need to be intimately involved in our communities. We can't simply um, tap dance into these new geographies without truly um, recognizing what goes on there and building our networks and building relationships, which makes it increasingly difficult to expand our reach because it's not a question of just driving and doing a showing anymore. It's really be intrinsically involved with those communities. Um, and that makes it even more difficult to work in multiple states. And we see a lot of people you know, who might be licensed in New York or Connecticut trying to get licensed in Florida and sell you know, between the two and look, I do it myself. It's not easy. It's, it's really difficult to maintain year round relationships in places that are, you know, flights away, not just drives away. So anyway, that said, I think that, you know, off market deals are a necessity. You can't avoid them anymore. They're going to be more difficult. They're going to be more time consuming, but that is what the customer wants. They want things that no one else has seen before. So in the Florida market with a complete lack of inventory and kind of and hunting for options, what what role is new construction playing in the in the overall equation of supply? Well, I thank God for new construction, um, especially in Miami, where you know it is a vertical city. It's very different than Palm Beach, where it's mostly single family homes. But um, the fact that Miami is built vertically and um, there's a ton of new development downtown in Brickell and in Sunny Isles, and these stunning new towers, um, you know, the Bentley Tower was just announced. We've got B&B Italia, Waldorf Astoria, Aston Martin, uh, Armani, Porsche you know, towers where you really understand what the brand is before even setting foot because you're familiar 
um, you know, with Porsche and, you know, the German design and um, speed and all of the fun, you know, technological gadgets. It really synergistically works with how there is an elevator within the center of the entire tower. It's all glass and it shoots your car up to your living room and your, you know, stunning Bugatti can be sitting as a masterpiece in your living room. So anyway, the, the Porsche tower embodies the Porsche brand. So I think that we're seeing a lot of that uh, new construction, new branded construction within Miami. And it has been our savior because that brings a volume of inventory. You just the only problem is you have to be patient. You have to wait two and three and five years until the buildings are actually built. So you're charging right into this this buzzy topic of, of branded residences right now. So tell us a little bit more about that trend. When did you start to see branded residents like like Porsche or Bentley Tower start to become more prominent and start to enter the market? And um, is that just a Miami thing? Or are we seeing that in other parts of the country? So we've seen it really explode the last few years. I mean, the amount of new towers that have come on the market in Miami are it's astronomical and it's actually very difficult to catch up with it. So yep. you you need to make sure that you're constantly researching and constantly learning um, about all of these new developments because it's not on the MLS. And in order to present your customers with the best um, you know, wealth of opportunities, you have to do off-market, you have to do new construction. You can't just rely on your computer MLS search anymore. So I think that you know we see no sign of stopping. Um, just actually did the most incredible experience at 11 residences sales gallery. So 11 is a, a gentleman's club that is um, very famous within Miami stays open, I think like 24 hours or something, but there is uh, PMG developers are, are building uh, an 11 tower and it's going to be condo hotel on one side and residences on the other. And uh, we basically lived the experience through augmented reality goggles and uh, VR. And I took a tour which felt so real um, of the 11 residences. And I felt like I was there. I was partying at the pool. I was, you know, relaxing in the lounge. I was eating dinner in the on-site restaurant. And it's just a really neat way to sell these pre-construction towers to customers that you know, might be more hesitant because they they don't know what they're buying yet. It's not out of the ground. But, mm -hmm. you know, things like uh, AR and VR to help that process is absolutely an incredible tool. And the first places we're really seeing that is in Miami and with these branded residences. So uh, the first time Bureau Beach has been mentioned on a podcast and also the first time a gentleman's club has been mentioned in relation to, to real estate. So we're hitting a lot of firsts today. So so let's, mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit more about the branded residence. So what is... What is the price point that you're seeing in, in Porsche or, or another example of one of these branded towers? Like, what, what does the inventory look like? Um, what's it going for? How competitive is that market? Love to hear a little more about that dynamic. Yeah, so it is pre-construction. So in general, you're locking in a really good price um, in exchange for the patients needed to wait out the tower's construction. So you know, this is, you know, a range and ballpark, but in some of the downtown towers that are being constructed. So let's talk about Waldorf um, and 11 and B&B Italia. So if we take those three, you can get into a studio for about 700,000 and you're looking at a four-year timeline, possibly five years for Waldorf because it is a thousand feet tall in order to, before you move in. Um, and, you know, prices then scale up 
all the way to 20, 33 million for the penthouses. But you know, you're looking at about a thousand dollars a square foot. Um, and you know, depending on the amenities, it, it kind of shifts, but it's a very fair price for you know a full service, highly amenitized building. Yeah, a thousand a square foot sounds like a deal if you're coming from New York or California. So let's let's talk a little bit about where people are coming from. So whether we're talking about families or uh, or folks that are targeting Palm Beach Island, or I'm sure it's a different demographic that's targeting 700 square feet um, in Miami. But uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, where your buyers are coming from um, throughout the market. So no surprise, New York and New Jersey, uh, Connecticut. And then a lot of California. We're seeing um, between Silicon Valley and LA and Orange County, a huge migration, particularly into Miami. And that is driven by their tech friendliness. Mayor Suarez has been incredible, kind of opening up his arms to the tech community and uh, making sure the city is on board. You even had the formerly known as American Airlines Arena is now called the FTX Arena. And it is, um, you know, a... Uh, cryptocurrency trading platform. So it's even the mayor is accepting part of his um, salary in Bitcoin. So it really is a different type of dynamic than is going on anywhere else in the United States. And I think that, you know, New York is even going to try to mimic it a little bit now that they have a new mayor and he's now accepting part of his salary in Bitcoin, but they've got some, you know, incredible catching up to do to Miami. So the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, he's been prolific on Twitter. And like, it's been pretty fascinating to watch him directly try to bring in high net worth investors and corporate executives to bring their own resources as well as their companies to South Florida. How is that kind of political involvement in driving forward the market impacting real estate in South Florida? Do you see that as a major driver or is this kind of like a sideshow that occurs on social media? No, we we directly see it impact, you know, the demand and who we see as our buyers and what they're able to spend. Um, so it's it's really been positive. And the greatest thing about Mayor Suarez is that he really walks the line. And even though he is a politician, he is not political. He's just pro-business. So he's really good at getting, you know, businesses to come to Florida. So you mentioned that Florida's hot. We know that we've hit on it. Uh, New York still has its strengths. And uh, and despite seeing a massive number of people flee New York down to to Florida, um, how is the New York market holding up? Like, how is this like flight of capital and potentially jobs impacting Manhattan and um, and other markets like Connecticut, New Jersey and uh, Long Island? So New York's still incredibly strong, um, particularly residentially. Now, where we're seeing a negative impact in New York is more commercial spaces, um, because a lot of businesses, as we've you know, I kind of discussed, um, <laughs> haven't stopped discussing um, since the beginning of the pandemic uh, about how people don't want to be back in the office full time. So, is there really a need for? this same scale of office space. So um, that's where we're seeing, you know, some some difficulties in New York City. However, the Hamptons, uh, they've also seen record setting prices, very low inventory and residences within New York people, you know, really the New York market only pulled back for two or three months during this whole pandemic. It was back and at pre 2019 levels by December of last year. So 
it's it's been very resilient. People still want to be there. People still need FaceTime. Even if they're only going to be in the office two or three days a week rather than five, they still need FaceTime to make sure that they're building those relationships with their clients, their bosses, with their colleagues. And now we're going to take a, a really quick break for this week's edition of the Mortgage Minute brought to you by Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions. Hi, I'm Tom Hutchins, Executive Vice President of Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions. We'll be bringing you news and updates every other week so you can stay updated on what's going on in non-QM. The NBA recently released their projections for 2022 and they're forecasting a huge purchase market with purchase volume rising 9% to a record $1.75 trillion. However, refis will drop an astounding 62%. For those who have relied on refis in the past year, you will need to shift and find ways to offer more purchase products. Non-QM can help. I can't say it enough. If you aren't looking into how to utilize non-QM, you're doing yourself a disfavor. The first step is to find an experienced non-QM lender to work with that can educate you on the programs and help you find these types of borrowers. We'll get into details of the programs in the coming weeks, but for today, that's your non-QM minute. Let's let's jump forward a little bit. So Another topic outside of everybody moving to Florida that's been buzzy is, has been Web3. And uh, Real Trends covered this week uh, an article about why are people buying virtual land and pointed out a few examples that Sotheby's has built a virtual storefront called Decentraland. EXP is, which always has been kind of a virtual environment. They're they're building a a, virtu- a new virtual environment for for their agents. What is the focus on virtual land, and and how are you thinking about that? How are your clients and um, and colleagues in Florida talking about this virtual land and and Web three uh, momentum? Mm-hmm. So for me, I think where it's the most immediately useful is to run controlled experiments and to really see how a you know newly built city or um, subsidy or um, new condo development, how it all interacts together. And you can simulate that through you know the metaverse. Now, that doesn't really explain why you're seeing NFTs go for you know hundreds of millions of dollars um, and other plots of digital land. I think that that is still you know very forward thinking and on the cusp of coming back to what we deal with here in in the real world in physical real property. Um, I think the other portion, you know, beyond being a controlled experiment for developers is also that NFTs have a huge role to play in the um, basically the history of a piece of land, you know, rather than having to go through different counties, different cities, um, different lenders, different owners, you have one singular blockchain history of a home or of land or of a condo or, you know, whatever we're talking about. And it's significantly easier to track for a new buyer and to then, you know, price accordingly and to just make sure that uh, title is clear and all of those good things that we currently use 
you know, 10 hands in the kitchen, you know, we've got a lot of cooks in the kitchen for every transaction. So if, if we can simplify it by using blockchain, I think that that's the real win here. So, you know, even though what's buzzy currently on the news is, um, that metaverse land and, you know, buying property in the metaverse, I don't think that that's the end game here. I think it's, it's got other more, uh, tactile, well, things that we're we're going to apply. Aaron, you're bringing us back to reality way way too fast here. The the, <laughs> the, the blockchain for title. Okay, we we got that. I can see how the NFT trend could benefit that becoming part of our process in the future. But so, but we're still like have this this buzziness happening. I, I'm forgetting the guy's name, but I, there's a realtor. I follow on Instagram who in Miami who like shifted his business from selling luxury homes in Miami to selling virtual land. That just seems like a that's still a wild bet that I I could couldn't even pretend I could explain that to like my parents or like trying to like explain like virtual land to somebody who's not digital native and like um involved in in crypto and web3. I couldn't even attempt to explain it. So is that something that you're like, you're actually, are you hearing about this? Are you meeting agents who say like, Hey, I'll also sell you 10 acres in meta world three or whatever. So like, are you, are you hearing about that? No, I think we all are in the peripheral of it. We, we see these, you know, singular individuals or, um, you know, you hear that it's going on, but in terms of my day-to-day interaction, you know, nobody has tried to sell me land in the metaverse yet. And I haven't sold anybody else land in the metaverse. And, you know, I think that part of the problem is that we, we think of land as, you know, a real property as land, whereas this is, it's kind of like buying storage space. It's, it's different. Yeah. I, I feel like kind of tying this back to the branded residences conversation. I could, I don't know if this is a reality yet, but I could definitely see a world where there is a luxury brand selling virtual branded residences. I feel, I feel like that's something that would just play really well with the people who are interested in this. It makes it much easier to explain. You, you know what you're buying when it's branded. Yeah. 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 And it's, I mean, I think a lot of things in kind of NFT and virtual world are, are a different way of social signaling or status signaling. And it, it like, that's something that, um, every, every kind of every market does differently. Like people like social signal in New York different than they social signal in Florida, F- Florida is like, it feels like, like cars and real estate have always been an easy way to social signal. And it seems like there's this, this new world in, uh, in the metaverse of, of signaling with, with NFTs. And I, I, I wonder how, what kind of legs that type of social signaling actually has. And if it continues forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And I, I agree with you with different social signals that are in the city versus down in Florida. Obviously, in the city, in order to see some of these residents, you really need to go past a doorman, get up the elevator yeah. and go inside versus, you know, in Florida, we drive by magnificent properties all the time and, and you can use your imagination a bit more. Yep, absolutely. So I want to kind of bring the conversation to to some of the trends, the, the data that we're seeing at a national level. So in 2021, we saw home price appreciation nationally average about 18.5%. We know that's really different by, by market. And there's pockets that were much, grew much faster and some markets that, that grew slower. The, the economists and forecasters that I'm paying the most attention to are forecasting about 6% home price appreciation in 2022. How are you thinking about 
home price appreciation in South Florida and New York as we look as we look forward to to 2022, or or even if you want to add commentary to some of the other luxury markets that you mentioned that Nest Seekers does business in. Yeah, so I think Florida, you know, we have space to run up a bit more. Um, I think it's you know we've more or less hit a plateau, but I do not see at any time in the near future prices pulling back, um, and perhaps a little bit more room for growth. Uh, in New York, I think we're at a solid, long-standing plateau. And where I see the most opportunity for growth is really in the international markets. Um, Europe did not open like the United States did, and therefore their sales were much slower throughout the you know entirety of the last two years. So I think that in the luxury areas in Saint-Tropez and, you know, parts of prime London, you're going to see the appreciation that we saw last year coming into those markets in 2022. Um, and the same thing with um, Portugal and with Mexico. I think that those are two areas that are, are really primed to um, take international buyers and uh, particularly with Portugal and the frankly ease of getting a golden visa after purchasing about $750,000 worth of property and then having a, you know, a second uh, residency uh, yep. separate visa. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive what you can do with a modest investment in Portugal. So coming back to Florida and in New York, so how does a plateaued market impact buyer psychology? I, I think about Texas right now where, where we're based and we're still seeing pretty aggressive home price appreciation forecasts for next year. So there, there's kind of this mentality is still like, but like buy now because the prices will be higher tomorrow. But in a, in a market where you you feel like you've kind of you've, you've reached a high point, you're not forecasting declines, but you're forecasting like, hey, this is the the steady state for a bit. How does that change buyer psychology? Are people still like re ready to pull the trigger and go, or do you see a little more hesitancy and um in purchasing decisions? Um, we haven't seen any hesitancy yet because of the potential for rate increases and people yeah. that want to lock in those mortgages still want to move very quickly. So, and the, and the fact that it's not quite the bidding wars that we had before, but it's still a very tight inventory. People don't want to lose out on the potential for the property that they actually, you know, want and, um, that they've had their, eye out for for months because if it passes them by, it might be, you know, six more months until something similar comes on the market. So what role is financing playing in this in this the luxury markets that that you primarily serve? Um, we we know that rates are going up right now, but we've also seen an increase in cash buyers. So I'm mean, kind of interested in like how often you are talking about traditional mortgage financing in in the luxury market. So in terms of the actual transaction, most of the luxury purchases are happening in cash. However, these are very intelligent, financially savvy people. So most of them are then financing on the back end at least, at least the last couple of years, because if they're getting, you know, two and a half percent, they can, you know, make better money on, um, on an investment and, and cover that with their returns easily. So, um, they are taking loans on the back end. And it's not always a traditional mortgage. It could be uh, an LAL or a loan against your own yeah. assets or something similar. So um, people are using leverage, but they're not doing it in the primary transaction because they don't want any contingencies to make sure that they're able to get that property. So, so just as mortgage rates climb up, the 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 variable rate liquidity access lines or the LALs from private 
wealth managers and um, private bankers are they're moving up in lockstep. So so that's the that it, that is the rate that a lot of the, the luxury buyers are are watching. Okay, so rates going up, big impact on the refi business uh, nationally. We're projecting that refi goes down sixty two percent this year. So this has all the mortgage bankers a buzz. We're about to see a lot of volume kind of fall out of the system. So everybody's focus is on on purchase. And as I talk to loan originators and mortgage banking executives, there's there's a a buzzy major focus on strengthening relationships with with realtor partners and. Um, relationships in local markets, but as well as kind of corporate level um, partnerships and alliances. So I wanted to hear a little bit more about how your relationships with your mortgage lending partners um, might might be changing or evolving or and hear a little bit more about Nest Seekers strategy on like core services or affiliated services. Is that a world that you play in? Yeah. So I think most of I can definitely speak from my personal perspective. My relationships with lenders have all been very personal, you know, one-on-one. And it's a combination of, you know, meeting uh, each other through other transactions and also, you know, meeting socially and um, learning who is the right fit for which clients, because you, it's not a, you know, one case fits all. Um, So you have certain, you know, private wealth clients who have access to, plenty of options on their own. And then you have other circumstances and, you know, just ran into one this morning with the client purchasing a condo hotel where you can't get traditional financing. It's um, a little bit riskier and and you need to have a lender who's very familiar with that. So building up your rosters going to continue to be uh, super important in terms of knowing who to reach out to when in order to make transactions as seamless as possible. The way that Nest Seekers tends to work is we're, we're really on the cusp of um, a real estate organization, also a media company. So that media presence gives us a lot of opportunity for inbound uh, relationships that people that want to work with us, which has been you know super beneficial. And, and you just end up having to, to sort through the clutter in terms of finding the right person, but you don't have to do as much outreach um, because of the media presence. All right, Aaron. So I have one final question for you. And this is a question I'm trying to kind of wrap every show with and um, ask all of our guests. So, uh, so you can take a second here, but if you didn't dedicate your career to housing and the real estate profession, what other professional path would you have taken? Like what does an alternate universe look like for you? Mm. Um, well, I had a whole career before I came into real estate and was in retail. So it would not be that one because I left for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that um, I love construction, and, and, and if I wasn't selling, I would be building. So you, you can't you can't pull yourself out of housing. I, I it's a it's a it's a <laughs> magnet. Once you're in, you are in. All right, Aaron, thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you. Bam! Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.